This EHIV review program is presented by DKB Med Radio. Stigma can have a very real effect of causing someone to not seek care. You know, we see over half of trans people surveyed and even larger numbers of trans people of color refusing to seek care until sometimes it gets too late. Stigma and HIV care in LGBTQ plus persons. Welcome to EHIV Review. Stigma. What is it? How is it experienced? How does it present a barrier to HIV care? And what can clinicians do to mitigate its effects? Those are some of the questions we're here to discuss today. Our guest is Dallas Dukar, an advanced practice nurse and CEO of TransHealth. For Dallas Dukar's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, ehivreview.org, and select the Volume 8, Issue 2 link. Hello, I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of EHIV Review. Welcome to the program, Dallas, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me, Bob. It's really a pleasure to be here today. Dallas, you're a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner, and your organization is TransHealth. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Sure. We provide good health care. TransHealth is an independent, nonprofit health center that serves trans and gender diverse adults, children, and families throughout Massachusetts and the greater New England area. We started on May 2021, and really we've grown exponentially, providing care to over 1,500 patients and employing over 40 people. We provide primary care, psychiatry, therapy, and affirming care to all ages across the lifespan, some as young as four, some as old as 80. We also offer community services, education, conduct meaningful research, and advocate for change. Our focus today is on stigma and how it affects the mental health of individuals in the LGBTQ plus community seeking HIV care. And in fact, that's our first learning objective. Before we take our discussion to the clinic, though, I want to ask you specifically about stigma. That word gets used a lot, but what does it mean? What exactly is stigma? From your knowledge and your clinical experience at TransHealth Dallas, how would you define stigma? Stigma is really an external judgment that brands the individual as different than the one that's doing the judging. And really, having different labels on the individual as a part of the pack or the herd that really directly implies that the individual does not have the protection of that entire pack, that they're isolated in some way. And that leaves people with really feeling unprotected and alone, causing anxiety, causing fear. And those feelings then can become internalized and they actually can become ingrained into a, a sense of self-worth in some way or another. And so in short, those external judgments and messages really then come to impact the individual and really affects them on a very personal level. And this has really been shown to directly affect the mental and physical health of our patients. LGBTQ plus individuals who are HIV positive, what can you tell us about how stigma affects their mental health? Sure. You know, stigma can really creep into our minds in pretty insidious ways. Right now, and historically, 
There have been so many media sources which have talked about how it can be bad to be LGBTQ plus or be diagnosed with HIV as a value judgment. And in both respects, this can take the form of what's known as contagion theory or the idea that you could catch an identity or HIV status just by being around someone. And over time, this view, which we know is wrong, can be internalized by the individual and really diminishes one's own sense of self-worth or feels to them like they might be contagious in some way or bad in some way. And so then stigma is then internalized and really can lead to, over a longer period of time, severe mental health consequences if, and this is the big if, resilience is not built over time. So the important thing to highlight is that so many LGBTQ folks and those diagnosed with HIV, especially those at the intersection of both, can really carry this stigma with them. And they hear these messages daily, and it's their resilience that keeps them going in the face of the stigma. In your intake interviews with new patients, what have you found to be their most common mental health concerns? Mm. Well, depression, anxiety, PTSD, at times a phenomenon known as complex PTSD, which may also present similar to some personality disorders too. And this grouping of different phenomena can also look a lot like PTSD. And so trauma is really a big one here. And these mental health difficulties can really begin early on with the onset of gender dysphoria, sometimes as early as three or four, sometimes later when magical thinking stops around seven or eight, or sometimes around teenage years when the body begins to change and then compound over one's life, especially if gender dysphoria is really not addressed. And so many may feel that a healthcare setting is the last point they want to go to as over half of trans folks and over 60% of trans people of color report being discriminated against in healthcare settings. And this intersection of gender and race only makes healthcare more difficult for those at the margins. Hold on a moment, Dallas. I want to make sure I understand what you just said. A healthcare setting is the last place LGBTQ plus people, and in particular trans people, it's the last place they want to go when they need HIV care. Is that true? And is it something else caused by stigma? Yes, yes. Stigma can have a very real effect of causing someone to not seek care. You know, we see over half of trans people surveyed and even larger numbers of trans people of color refusing to seek care until sometimes it gets too late. And this really compounds the cost to the body and also the economic cost to our healthcare system. And this is why many trans people for generations have engaged in mutual aid networks to care for themselves and to care for each other. Understood, but let's stay in the healthcare setting. Uh, talk to us, if you would please, Dallas, about how stigma can occur there. You know, it may be someone at the front desk or even in the exam room refusing to use that patient's right name, the right pronouns, or even refuse to care for the patient due to their own beliefs, specifically with religious exemption rules. 
It also might be less explicit and more implicit, like how you act around a trans person, how your behavior shifts, how you might even be afraid of making a mistake. So avoid the patient, avoid using pronouns, or over-explain yourself. So the discomfort felt by the clinician and felt by the staff, and now again, whether this is intentional or not, that discomfort reinforces the stigma felt by the patient. Even when we think about the structure of a clinic or healthcare setting, bathroom signs, right? Are those gendered, are they not? Language on intake forms, or the lack of a non-discrimination statement that is clearly posted and protects gender identity. All of these could be gendered or point to an unwelcome space, especially for non-binary patients. These points you're raising, Dallas, these are things I think a lot of clinicians may not be fully aware of. Uh, so let me ask you, drawing from your clinical experience, what can providers do to reduce the mental health impacts of stigma to improve HIV healthcare for their LGBTQ plus patients? Sure. You know, I think first and foremost, um, you know, and I say this as a trans person myself, we are no different than any other patient. And I think that's really important to recognize that there's not some different pathophysiology that applies to us, but we should be treated just like any other patient, LGBTQ patients too. And gender affirming care, it might sound far away, distant, complicated, but really at the end of the day, we are just providing good health care using the right name, right pronouns, and really showing up and addressing our implicit and explicit biases. And then really incorporating trauma-informed care as a necessary component to gender-affirming care. And that should be really part and parcel of all the care we provide. So let's summarize what we've been talking about, Dallas. Our learning objective is to describe the mental health effect of stigma in the LGBTQ plus community and possible interventions to increase engagement of HIV care. We've discussed a lot of things in this part of the program, what should a clinician looking to provide the most appropriate care for an LGBTQ plus patient who is HIV positive, what should that clinician take away from our conversation? Well, number one, stigma. It is insidious and it's negative or discriminatory attitudes towards you based on how others see you. It leads someone to conflate you as a person with values and leads you to feeling worse about yourself with long-term psychological consequences. So we note that our patients have been discriminated against and overtly traumatized by the US healthcare system. And we know that when we lead with affirming care, then we can reduce waste and increase value in healthcare. And we know that stigma plays a huge role in HIV engagement and so many patients cannot mentally understand what you're telling them when they're processing changes in their identity. Many providers still use terms like the HIV patient, and instead, we need to stop treating people like a disease. When we begin to meld the practices of affirming care and trauma-informed care, we can co-create a practice where patients and their stories are acknowledged and they can be valued for who they are rather than being treated like a diagnostic label. And this is undoubtedly, especially from the research, it just illustrates improvements in care overall. Thank you, Dallas. 
I'd like to turn now to our second learning objective, which focuses on the effect of affirmation and empowerment interventions to increase engagement in HIV care among the LGBTQ plus population. Uh, so with that in mind, if you would please, Dallas, start us out in the clinic with a patient scenario. A new patient diagnosed with HIV enters into the clinic and reports that they have been struggling to get access to care because, quote, every doctor I see focuses on my transness and doesn't help me with my actual needs. Focuses on my transness and doesn't help me? What's going on here? There's definitely a problem with these clinicians. Definitely. They are so focused on the patient's identity that they are not actually providing the care that this patient needs, which is good HIV care. Many providers can be so focused on the identity and not prescribe what the patient actually needs. And I've seen patients like this who've gone untreated, and then it finally comes to talking about treatment, if they even get that far. And the patient is extremely distrustful of the provider and likely the medical system as a whole. Well, let's put you in the clinician's chair in this scenario, Dallas. How would you start with this patient? Sure. Well, I would actually start by trying to limit the power differential and start by introducing myself before asking them who they are. Start by introducing my name, by my pronouns. And then, you know, asking the individual what name they use and what their pronouns are. Why is that important? Well, first off, we really can't make assumptions. Even if we're going off of an EMR or a medical record, there could be a mistake and we cannot rely on records to be 100% correct, especially if identity changes over time. And if we cannot address someone with the right name, then we're surely not inspiring our patients with confidence. I mean, imagine if that happened to you, right? It would it would be very difficult to have any confidence and your provider if they can't use the right name. Good point. So as the clinician, what would you do next? I would approach this care in a trauma-informed manner, understanding that the patient does not enter into the clinical environment feeling safe, right? No clinical environment is going to feel 100% safe. And so I'd be asking them what would make this environment safer. And I'd really also focus on understanding the whole narrative of which they wish to share, not just zeroing in on one portion of their life or their identity. And then I'd ensure that really, I'm only asking the need to know questions and I would watch out for trans broken arm syndrome. Trans broken arm syndrome? Uh, define that for us, please. It's when the patient's concerns are dismissed because there's just far too much focus on gender identity. And it leads to the patient's concerns in general being overlooked completely. You know, the patient just wants to understand their diagnosis better. And every caregiver focuses instead on the fact they're trans. And so this phenomenon is known as trans broken arm syndrome. And it leads to one's desires, one's care needs being dismissed. Does that happen often? Really? Really. And it happens way too often. It, it shouldn't matter what your identity is or what body parts you have. You're there to be cared for. But individuals instead seek treatment will face negative experiences, particularly in rural areas, 
And instead, providers will be focused too much on asking about gender. There are papers documenting this. And these biases directly affect the ability of the provider to identify a serious medical condition before it's too late. Being trans is not a medical condition. There is no need to know basis here. And this is just inappropriate care. And it really risks the patient's lives. Our learning objective is to explain the effect of affirmation and empowerment interventions to increase engagement in HIV care among the LGBTQ plus population. What can clinicians do to help their HIV positive LGBTQ plus patients empower themselves? Uh, start us out at the beginning, Dallas, if you would, please. Pre-intake preparation. Realize that the patient might be experiencing mental health difficulties and these are sometimes long-term and assume a past experience of trauma. And so it is your job to ensure that that patient feels safe in your clinical environment. During the intake interview, ask for real names, real pronouns, do it with every single patient. Practice until it comes naturally. Be familiar with gender neutral pronouns, use them. Use words like patient or client instead of her, him, or just guessing or supposing the gender of the individual. Train your team so everyone is deploying this universal protocol. Have an EMR which is directly responsive to that protocol. And ensure your facility has a non-discrimination statement, gender-neutral facilities, and structural changes to ensure there are no assumptions made. Ensure that discussion is goals-based. Why is the patient there? What are you going to do to help them really accomplish their goals? Good advice. What else? You know, don't rely on the patient to teach you. Do your education beforehand, like, you know, listening to this interview. And focus discussion on the patient's resilience rather than being pathological. Pathological? So much of medicine is pathological. We're taught to enter a room, scan the patient, and see what's wrong with the patient. If their hand is on their chest, if they look like they're in pain, we look for what's wrong rather than what is right. At the end of the day, this really isn't rocket science. These are just basics. It's meeting the patient where they are and asking with them where they want to go. This has been a thorough and enlightening discussion, Dallas, and you've given many of our learners a lot of practice change ideas to think about implementing. Here's our learning objective one last time. Uh, Dallas, if you would, please, summarize the most important points you'd want our audience to remember. Well, I think number one, focus on listening to the patient's choices and their goals for care, including what wellness means to them. Number two, only provide recommendations that are in line with the patient's goals and their safety. Number three, work to understand the systemic barriers at work in the patient's life and refer resources and ways to reduce or mitigate those. Here's where being ready to refer to local peer support interventions can be really, really helpful. Number four, ensure the patient is informed of all of their choices. And number five, ensure that the systems that are in place are not gatekeeping in nature, but instead really open up more opportunities for the patient. Dallas Dukar from TransHealth. Thank you for joining us for this EHIV review program. Thank you so much, Bob. It was a pleasure being here today. For EHIV review, I'm Bob Busker. 
To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ehiv.dkbmed.com. EHIV Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Merkin Company, and Vive Healthcare. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. EHIV Review is copyright, with all rights reserved, by DKB Med, LLC. Thank you for listening.